All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And uh, I just did that because it looked like you were looking from side to side. Yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I kind of have my eyes going all over the place. I'm thinking yeah. in different directions. You gotta be. You're a reporter. You're on the yeah. case. You're on the trail. I don't think. I don't think there's a really a reason for it. I think it's just a nervous tick. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Like I'm. I'm actually making an effort to look straight ahead right now. Right. Eye contact. That's good. Uh, what happened this week? Anything? Oh, so much. Uh, what happened this week? A lot. A lot. We'll get to a lot of it later, I think. Unless, I mean... We're going to get to everything except the Simone Biles story. Okay, I'm going to be real. I have no idea what's happening with that. Yeah. Like, I, she I, stepped down, she quit, but, like, she's really brave? I don't really understand. It was so hard to figure out exactly what was going on. Like, she she stepped down, and then... It, you know, there were, there was this whole immediate reaction afterwards that this was better than better than that if she'd actually won, and that she should be applauded more for that. And then there were people who were furious about that. It's like the Jimmy Jank thing, right? But like over the Olympics, which does anybody watch? By the way, I don't know. I haven't watched any of it. I was too I busy watched watching Bodie swim. Right. Yeah. That's the that's, that's your real. Sporting. That's a real water. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. Yeah. So we're takeless on that. Takeless, yeah. I mean, is there mental health issues? Is that why she's being lauded as really brave? Yes. Okay. So that's good. So she's open about that. I think the question is, are we glad that she's being open about that? Or is that, but does that have to be better than winning the gold medal? Right. She won the mental health honesty gold medal. Right. Yes, exactly. There we go. So, uh, okay. What happened in the world this week? Oh, so much. Let's see. I'm a little out of it. I'm not going to lie. Well, that's that's a good thing. It, oh, no. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, I feel out of it. I don't mean like I'm out of the loop. I'm that too. But I'm just in a weird <laughs> mood. Okay. Well, stuff happened, obviously. So we'll get to it. Um, should we just do the four foot groups? Yeah, let's just jump into it. Yeah. All right. And so, then we'll have some interesting updates. Yes, mostly downers. but Right. But that's what life mostly is. Yeah, right? that's true. That's what life okay. life is. Did you say life mostly is? Is that what you said? That's what life. Yeah. That's what life mostly is. Yeah. A series of downers. It is. Life mostly is a series of downers. Life colon a series of downers. Right. I saw a really cute dog on the street today. We could cut that in. Did you run if it people over? Some... No. Oh, oh, you were thinking a downer? No, no, no. <laughs> I, she just jumped on me. She was so cute. Her name is Elsie. Oh. Maybe right. we should start putting like cute animal clips in there. We would do such a much like more booming business if we. Oh my god, we would people would click on it like crazy. There's a really cute video of a koala, by the way, who's being weighed by a doctor, and she has like a stuffed animal, and Uh so the doctor's trying to weigh her, and when he takes the stuffed animal away, she like crawls away from the scale. So finally, he just says, "Okay, she's two point whatever pounds with the stuffed animal." Oh, and then wow. he takes the stuffed animal. He's going to weigh the stuffed animal so that they can like subtract, subtract. it. Yeah. That's cute. Really cute. It's really is cute. A, is that a TikTok video? I think I saw it on Instagram. Mm. I, I had a, I had a, a bad parenting moment Uh-oh. where one of my kids was asking what a Komodo dragon was. And I sort of remembered excitedly that I had seen a nature video involving a Komodo mm-hmm. dragon. And I, 
called it up on YouTube, but it, it's like, it's this horrifying video of a bunch of Komodo dragons just eating this deer. And the whole <gasps> thing, it's, it's like screaming in agony the whole time and they're biting it by the face. And like, Oh my God. Yeah, and I'm like, my God, I'm a terrible parent. I had to like tell them that it was actually something else. And what did you tell them? Just, like it was, it was I, 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 I just pointed somewhere in some other direction and made up an excuse to have them look elsewhere. Do you want to watch Komodo dragons eating them? No. Deer? No. No. Okay. Oh, we had their deer where my parents are. They're a bunch of deer. Uh huh. And Bodhi's barking at them a lot. I think they're cute little baby deer, but they're dangerous, right? Because they could have Lyme disease and all other sorts yeah. of diseases. Well, they, yeah, they have Lyme ticks, probably. Ticks, right. Right, yeah. right, yeah. I don't yeah. know if they have Lyme disease. Do they get it? I'm not sure. Actually. But they have the ticks. They have the carriers. Yeah. They and that's enough. They can, they can be dicks. dicks? Yeah. yeah, I think they kill people. Yeah, if they jump in front of your car. Yeah, by getting, yeah. They'll go, they'll go through your windshield, and then, you know, as they're in their death throes, they're kicking you and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Total dick behavior. Actually, yeah, yeah really, like, like a really selfish person. Right. Yeah, who right. makes, like, their problems your problems. Right. And they're the right. victim. It's like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to commit suicide, you know, don't exactly. do it, but don't lie in front of a railroad track because then you're going to traumatize all the people. Yeah. And, and make them the late. Driver. Yeah. Just go walk your dear self into a pond. And, and Oh my God. Don't do any of that. Don't do either of that. Those things. Well, you probably you, live a guys. percentage of you probably would want to do that because the alternative is getting shot to reduce your population. Oh yeah, if you're talking for all the deer listening out there, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh wait, we were talking about deer. Sorry, I forgot that. Right. No, no, yes. not people. I know. Yeah. 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 Right. We were just uh, doing a comparison, the equivalent. This, yeah. This this is conversations really. I'm sorry, I took it in a strange direction. No, no, no. Um, all right. So what happened in Democrat Talk this week? So for Democrats suck, I wanted to just like, so there's a serious Democrat suck. And then there's like a not, it's not that it's not serious, but one of them is longer than the other. Let's start with the more substantive one, which is um, this we could also file under like, nothing would fundamentally change that famous Biden quote. Mm -hmm. But um, in fact, I was thinking we could do a quiz where I find a quote and you have to guess if it was uh, Trump or Biden. So, okay, here, this is reading at Democracy Now. The Biden administration has announced plans to place some migrant families arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border in expedited removal proceedings. The practice allows U.S. immigration officials to deport people without a court hearing in front of an immigration judge. Advocates warn the policy is a violation of due process and international law. Now, I thought that the Dems were good on this stuff, right? I thought that this was one of the things that I know this isn't separating minors from their family, but wasn't Biden supposed to be putting like rule of law and humanitarian concerns in, up in there, the ones that like Donald Trump didn't have? So wait, what, what, what are they doing now? They're announcing plans to place some migrant families arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border in expedited removal proceedings. So basically they're, they're having these expedited removal proceedings and it allows U.S. immigration officials to deport people without a court hearing in front of an immigration judge. And mm. advocates warn the policy is a violation of due process and international law. So they're expediting it and they're doing it in a way that may not be, uh, may not comply with uh, international law and may violate due process. Right, so the Trump policy was let's, let's bring them in, but let's make it so unpleasant and, uh, and scary for kids 
that it'll be a deterrent to people coming in. And that was that policy, which we, I think, rightfully thought was sort of inhuman. Inhuman, yeah. Right. But this is just, let's just not bother with the deterrent and just ship them out quickly. Ship, ship them out quickly. Yeah. In a way that maybe violates due process and international law. Right. So I'm assuming this has to do with people asking for asylum and that sort of thing. Okay. So the Biden administration on Monday said it will seek to rapidly deport migrant families traveling with children who cross the southern border without legal permission. Migrant families who are not expelled to Mexico under current pandemic related restrictions will be placed in, quote, expedited removal and, quote, proceedings which allow border authorities to carry out deportations without court hearings, the Department of Homeland Security announced. Through expedited removal, U.S. border officials can circumvent the backlog-ridden immigration courts and summarily deport migrants to their home countries without affording them the same safeguards available during proceedings before an immigration judge. If migrants placed in the fast-tracked proceedings express fear of being harmed in their native countries, they are supposed to be interviewed by U.S. asylum officers. If they pass those interviews, migrants are allowed to present a full case for asylum in immigration court. So we're just um, going to blow that off. Which, which thing? The whole... The whole, like, presenting your case for, you know, being harmed in your other in your right. home country. Yeah. I guess you... Oh, right, we're, right, we're, right, we're right. Just, we're, we're just going to do this now. Whatever. Well, I think they're saying... If migrants placed in the fast track proceedings express fear of being harmed, so there's like a little pause, I guess. Oh, I see. And then they say the the expedited deportations created by a Clinton era law have been used by Republicans and Democratic administrations as a way to deter unauthorized border crossings. Attempting to cross into the United States between ports of entry or circumventing inspection at ports of entry is the wrong way to come to the United States, DHS said in an announcement. These acts are dangerous and can carry long-term immigration consequences for individuals who attempt to do so. Historically, expedited removal has been criticized by civil society and advocates who argue the practice bars asylum seekers from consulting with lawyers in the U.S. and leads to the swift return of people who could face danger in their home countries. This so the ACLU is weighing in on this. What are they saying? The expedited, so quoting Lee Gerland, Lee Gerland an attorney with the ACLU, told CBS News, the expedited removal system routinely leads to errors, and it is not a system that should not be used when people's lives are at stake. I think there's a typo there. I think they're saying, and it is a system that should not be used or should not be used when people's lives are at stake. We are extremely disappointed that the Biden administration is considering placing vulnerable asylum-seeking families in a system that lacks basic due process protections. What if like this is what happened? What if the ACLU's typo is responsible? Because it's it is not a system that should not be used. Sounds like a double negative to me. Yeah. Isn't that what happened with John Podesta when he asked like this cybersecurity well, can we, people? Can we speak entirely and do, and and can we not speak entirely not can we not not speak entirely in double negatives for the rest of the show? No, of course we can not. No, of course we cannot. Okay. Right? That worked, right? That not that doesn't not work correct no, that doesn't not work yeah <laughs> but it reminds um, me of wasn't it podesta who emailed his cybersecurity people and they were like he was like should i click on this and they were like definitely do click on that did they say that yeah instead of do not aclu you got to clean up your act right CBS, yeah. whoever whoever it's that, it's that one word that you're missing that can be crucial sometimes you know? yeah 
or that one word that you put in twice. Right. Definitely do not click on that. Right. Definitely do not not click on that is how we would say it in our language and culture, Matt, our double negative culture. Would not Russiagate not have happened if if Podessa had not not double clicked on Did not Russiagate not have happened. I can't say that it couldn't have happened. <laughs> I can't not say that it didn't happen. Right. But this just goes back to like how it's it's fine. I mean, where where's the outrage? I mean, there's some outrage. We got the ACLU. That's good. Although they're they got to be careful with those double negatives. The difference there's there's a big difference between Trump and Biden. There are big differences in some cases, but it's not big enough. And the causes should remain at the forefront. This this is why I, well, there's two things here. This is why I never get all that worked up about immigration issues because almost both of the parties end up regressing basically right. to the same place. I mean, I think the rhetoric is definitely more yes. intense on the Republican side, but if you look at what actually happens, they end right. up in the same place. But yeah, this is why one of the reasons why Republican or Trump voters, you know, are, are basically going to be impossible to talk to going forward. It's because of stuff like this. You know, if you if you spend months talking about, oh my God, these are Trump's putting people in concentration camps and, you know, this is this is the worst thing since Auschwitz or whatever it is. Right. And then a few, you know, years later, it's migrant children. First migrant children facility opens under Biden. I'm like, that's the headline in the right. Washington Post. And everybody's, you know, trying to uh, downplay not not a same policy because again the trump policy was worse and right. it, was, it was basically sadistic right like they they were intentionally trying to do something that was nasty but this isn't a whole lot better it's like a kinder gentler concentration camp like a smaller well, concentration camp it's just it's just sort of openly fuck you and we don't want we don't want you in the country and right. you know we won't even have the pretense of giving you, know. you a hearing so that's that's Democrats suck. And then this is just another one. This is a really quick one. If we could just play this video of Biden. Thank you, pardon? Will you require all federal employees to get vaccinated? That's under consideration. Oh, now, God. If you're not vaccinated. You're not nearly as smart as I thought you were. So that they ask, are you going to are you considering requiring all federal employees to be vac- uh, to be vaccinated? And he goes, it's under consideration. And if you're not vaccinated, you're not nearly as smart as I thought you were. Right. Yep. Which is just such a dumb thing to say, because guess what? I don't think that's going to work. I don't think people are like not going to get vaccinated and then like, oh, but Biden will, won't think I'm smart. Well, you know, I, I, so I'm going to get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, I just wrote about this, this whole rollout of this PR campaign, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. We have to start blaming people. We have to start kind of using more stick and less carrot. This idea of you know, if you don't, if you're not vaccinated, you're not smart, or you're, you're you're killing people. Blah blah blah. Well, first of all, again, they clearly didn't do this with with other demographics who had vaccine hesitancy, even pretty recently, right? I mean, there was they had issues with a whole series of different communities, you know, for different reasons, right? So you had you had people who were concerned about the history of the Tuskegee. Tuskegee, right. right. So, yeah. so, so in Alabama, the numbers were not great. Right. And, right. um, 
you know, then there was a there was a se- separate issue with with some Hispanic communities, right? And then there were there were it's, a, it's a, but you would never go into any of these demographics and say like you're an idiot, right? Like sh- shaming is is not is not going to work, right? Right. That's a that's so, a big thing. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, I I understand people feeling frustrated about it, but like, what are you trying to accomplish there? I mean, it's like when he told people not to vote for him. Like, how many people did he tell not to vote for him? Right. Or if you're you're not black, if you don't vote for me, right. or if you're not voting for me, you ain't black. Remember, he told that to Charlemagne the God. It's so <laughs> he's so ridiculous. He's just so entitled, and he's had he's had a lot more of those senior moments lately too. Yeah, he went off on another reporter again last week. Did you see that? No. What did he do? What did he say to them? Just yeah. said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mr. President, whoa, whoa, Veterans whoa, whoa. Affairs. Whoa, hang on a second. I think things are going well. Our role in Iraq will be as a uh, dealing with not. It's just to be available to continue to train, to assist, to help and to deal with ISIS as it, as it arrives. But uh, we are not going to be by the end of the year in a combat mission. Mr. President, Mr. President, Veterans Affairs, Mr. President, Veterans Affairs is going to have a mandate You are for such a pain in the neck, but I'm going to answer your question because you've known each other for so long. It has nothing to do with Iraq. I, I the answer, no, no. <laughs> he He's had a couple of these. You know, there was the one where he blew up at people for asking him questions about the Afghanistan drawdown. And there was the other one about after the Putin summit. Not that I don't, you know, 100% get losing your patience with the press. But again, I hate to go there. But what would the headlines have been if this were a year ago? You know, right. Although he would have I mean, that that would have been so tame for Trump. That's true. But what were some of Trump's worst interactions with reporters? Well, there was Jorge Ramos. Oh, that guy. We that told was, to yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thrown out of the club. Yeah. That was terrible. That was really oh terrible. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, that, that's what else up. was there. I mean, wasn't he always insulting people? There was a, oh, there was a really painful, like, oh, one where he was, there was this, like, totally pathetic, like, um, there was this guy in the audience who was Jewish who was, like, setting Trump up to just, like, show off how, was he setting it? He basically was asking about like anti-Semitic crimes and he was very uncritical. In fact, I think he was it was almost like a setup question to give him like the opportunity to to say how good he was with Jews stuff. And he just berated him in, in, and the guy like apologized afterwards. It was it really was it was it was one of the worst things. It was one of the most like cringe. I hate using that word, but it was very cringe. It was. Yeah, that was pretty cringe. Do you remember that? I don't. I don't. We have to look that up. You probably was a repressed memory. Yeah. Well, I have. I mean, it's hard for me to separate. Yeah. Just just lost memory. I I can't can't figure out which which is which. The search Kovaleski thing was also pretty cringe. That wasn't a direct confrontation with a reporter. That was. Which one was that? You know, that was the. Remember? Oh, yeah. 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 That one was pretty bad. Written by a nice reporter. Now the poor guy, you got to see this guy. Oh, I don't know what I said. Ah, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> He's going like, I don't remember. I, oh, maybe that's what I said. This is 14 years ago. He still, they didn't do a retraction. Oh my God, so bad. The people we have who need to be president of this country are just, it's just amazing. You know, the dregs. Obama was sort of a respite, right? Like he was. Pleasant. 
Well, he was he was sort of in the ballpark of human most of the time. Right. You know, for the most of the rest of the of the century, it's been either can't speak English, right? Like Bush. Although mm. Bush was charming. Yeah, in a folksy, disgusting way. Yeah. Right. I mean, those videos when you watch them, you laugh, right? Yeah. You don't want to go assault somebody while you're watching that. Right. Who right. who makes you want to assault which presidents inspire that? Um it's a good I thing you didn't I, get the twenty three and me test after all. I, I get that with with Trump and and Biden. It's kind of like women who, you know, women have their cycles and they're predictable usually. I mean, maybe not. Some women have cycles that aren't predictable, but men, I'm generalizing here, like men also have their own hormonal stuff and moodiness going on, but like they don't, you guys don't even have a schedule. Well, what am I some of that's strategic oh, yeah. too, though. What do you mean? Well, I, I think sometimes you want to be un, unpredictably hostile so that right. you keeps people on their toes. Yeah, so you can weaponize it. Right. Right. But I feel like Trump is like a regular cycle. And Trump is like the woman because you can always you know what he's going to do, what he's going to say. Like his right. outbursts, his attacks are predictable. Except for that but, Jewish reporter. That was just weird. But Biden, you never know. Right. I like it when he talks about people's like failing ratings and their and how they work for the you know the newspaper that's going out of business or oh, whatever Trump, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those those are funny. Yeah. But when he's actually like rattled and trying to be insulting for no reason, that 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 shit was pretty crazy. But it was yeah. it was always his lane, right? I guess sometimes I guess the the Ramos thing was like really, really stood out. Yeah. Nicaragua. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah. That was when I thought this was the the, the Trump thing was gonna turn into something entirely different like what i thought there was a possibility of sort of a legitimate sort of black black shirt kind of a movement mm. you know because right. they, they, early on in his speeches they were like making a show of tossing people out of the the events and you know remember he and he was telling people to like bounce their heads off the cars and and that sort of thing they had these and then the ramos thing happened and i, I thought that was going to be like an escalation right but it, no, it's pretty tame for Trump. Yeah. No, after that, he was just ma mainly just behaviorally unstable. Right. We have to do like a mystery science theater. Yeah, we really great, do. Greatest, greatest hits yeah. of Trump. Yeah, we do. Do you think we're going to miss that? Someday? I already do. You do? He's yeah, he was funny. I already I miss, do. I miss, I miss Bush. I guess it was all the stuff around Trump that was so exhausting. Right. But okay, so that, so that happened. Where are you on a scale of one to 10 with how in control of himself Biden is. I don't know that he looked pretty like this uh, discombobulated and unaware in that last clip. I mean, he's got that like I was just hit with an oar kind of look. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, he gets that a lot, but it's more and more often it feels like to me. But that's not a Democrat suck. That's just a Democrats getting old thing. Right. It's not. Yeah. You can't. You certainly can't make. I mean, yeah, I can make fun of that more. Yeah. You can cast aspersions. I. I can't. Right. What we're we talking yeah. about again. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that was a Democrat suck. Republicans suck. There was a lot to choose from this week. I, I guess there's this article in Politico. America is not racist becomes a GOP 2024 mantra. Lightning rod issues such as critical race theory and, quote, defund the police are a staple for Republican contenders. And there's a picture of Mike Mike Pence. He's doing that. I want to 
caught a fish this big pose that's my favorite political right. pose like, yeah, like that one? yeah it's very yeah so the lead reads uh democrats made structural racism a centerpiece of the 2020 pres presidential primary now the republican rebuttal is emerging as an early plank of the 2024 gop contest america is not a racist country uh, the mantra used by nearly all of the republican contenders is unavoidable in the earliest stages of the gop's nominating campaign uh, at the annual Family Leadership Summit in Iowa this month, all three pre potential presidential prospects on stage, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, uh, took turns joining in the refrain in one form or the other. Top Democrats, including President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, have said publicly they don't believe America is a racist country, but Republicans are hoping to portray the party as out of step with the thinking of mainstream America. And by attempting to harness lightning rod issues such as critical race theory and defund the police, the GOP is signaling race will again be at the center of the 2024 campaign. And so I guess why this sucks is that this is just bracing us for what we're going to spend 2024 hearing about. You know, this is this the whole thing is now going to going to revolve around the culture wars. Is it race race debate? I get. I guess I had some mild expectation that the Demo that the Republican Party might have some kind of epiphany about a different strategy to employ. No, because uh, both of the parties, like, um, I, both parties just use it to not do anything. Right. Right. Like I keep thinking about the DNC when they kept talking about structural racism and how, you know, COVID affected black people disproportionately. And then what, what were they doing about it? Right. Like not Medicare for all, not even like an emergency. Neither of these things is, is actually a productive conversation. Right. So one side is going to say America is a structurally racist country and then the Republicans are going to deny it. And like, where does that debate actually lead us right. in the end? Yeah, you know? I mean, I think it is. The, I think it is obviously it's founding. And I do think that there's institutionalized racism. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? And what's the extent of it, too? Like, that's the other. Yeah, I don't know. Part, part of this is because I just I just read this article um, by um, David Frum. Mm. Did you see that? No. What's it about? Premise of it is vaccinated America has had enough. He has this passage, which I think was was really kind of telling. It's like, does Biden's America have a breaking point? Biden's America produces 70% of the country's wealth and then sees that wealth transferred to support Trump's America, which is fine. That's what citizens of one nation do for one another. But the reciprocal part of the bargain is not being upheld. Will blue America ever decide it's had enough of being put medically at risk by people and places whose bills it pays? Check yourself. Have you? And we talked about this with Sirota when he when he was on, right. which is like this sort of transformation of the electorates. It's once upon a time, the wealthiest districts in the country they voted Republican. Like if you if you had a, a predominantly white wealthy neighborhood where the median income was over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, it was almost guaranteed to vote Republican. Up until pretty recently, up until the two thousand sixteen election, now we've seen this sort of radical shift where most of Trump's voters, he won like 2,500 counties to 509 for Biden, except mo there are more people in the in the Democratic counties and they're wealthier in those counties. So the Republicans, if they were smart, they would lean into the fact that, you know, we're we're kind of the underclass, you know, uh, now, which 
they can argue. We, we, we come from the poorer states, mm. uh, right? But they don't want to do that. They'd rather, they'd, they'd rather argue about race and, you know, say we're not racist, right? Which is going to be a rallying cry. It just seems like a non-issue. But also because their policies don't help the non-wealthy, right? So they can't well, lean right. into it too much. Well, right. But they, they could they could come up with something that would sound that like that. You know what I'm saying? Trump right. did. Right. Yeah. They could be better. Right. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They could sell it better. And Trump talked about how I alone will fix it. I'm going to bring the jobs back to this Ford plant. I'm going to give you universal health care, all that stuff. Remember that? Right. I, that song just popped in my head by Live. Is that the band? I alone love I you. Alone. I alone something. Yeah. I don't um, know. I, I guess I just picked that out because I'm dreading. I'm already dreading how that conversation is going to go. The 2024 presidential election is, is, is going to be. All right. Uh, so what happened in, isn't this, isn't that weird? We have, you so have for, a good one. Yeah. For, isn't that weird? This is interesting. Uh, Brian Stelter himself uh, tweeted out coming to you today from a one of a kind TV studio in an old carriage house in Providence, Rhode Island. And now that in itself, isn't that weird? So what's weird about this is that he's sitting down without pants on. He's wearing a jacket. And so you see him in the TV screen, right? It's like a behind the scenes photo. And you see him in the TV screen appearing normal because it's, it's like above the, you know, it's from the waist up. But then in the photo, he's just sitting there. Pantsless. Pantsless. You can't tell if there's underwear or not. Yeah, it's like that Austin Powers scene where he keeps up something and having yeah, something. Exactly. In, right, right, right. And there's like, what is it's a podium? What is that thing in front of him? It's, it's, so his, a, his it's knees strategically are placed. placed. Yeah. His knees are bent. That's a man taking a dump. Uh, oh, is that what? Pose, yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's see. I'm zooming in on it. I screenshot it and then I'm zooming in on it. OK, I see black shorts, I believe. Yeah. If you zoom in a little oh, more, yeah. right, you can see that there's like looks like black boxers or black shorts you see a little bit of the white shirt coming down yeah you see a little bit of sneakers it looks like black sneakers if you scroll down those could be boxers yeah i think right boxers or shorts why do you do this though it's also a weird podium it looks like it has like a carpet on it it looks like it's might be a box oh yeah a box what's on the on that side is he he going through something he, he looks like he's screaming in delight while on the toilet right like he knew that when he tweeted like, yeah. that out he knew that he that he was not wearing pants and that would be visible do you think imagine if he bombs he, away he, yeah what if he do you think first what do you think it's even conceivable that he like forgot about that part being visible and tweeted it out then it was just too late no this was an intentional decision that's a really tough one because i'm i'm struggling with what the intentional reason to to release a photo like that would be yeah because you don't even want people having the tube in discussion. What did Fox say? Fox said, CNN's reliable sources with left-wing host Brian Stelter hit another weekly low on Sunday in the critical demographic that is coveted by advertisers despite an attempt to promote the episode on Twitter with an image of the host in his signature short. So this must be a thing he does. Oh, okay. So he usually does this. It just happens to look like he's taking a dump. 
Yeah, Stelter's program attracted only 100,000 viewers in the key demo of adults age 25 to 54 for its smallest audience of the year in the category. The dismal turnout was an 8% drop from the previous episode, which was previously the lowest rated edition of 2021. To put CNN's alarmingly low figure in perspective, there are eight college football stadiums in America that hold more than 100,000 people, but Stelter couldn't draw a larger crowd than the 25 to 54 age demographic in a country with a population of over 333 million. Okay, Fox like yeah. get it what do you, you know? really think yeah uh, you know like anybody could get 100,000 people well I guess that's not that that's true it's it's not a great number did it help them Stelter promoted the episode with a photo that showcased his trademark thigh exposing shorts as he boasted about broadcasting from an old carriage house in Rhode Island in March Stelter filmed himself sporting similar shorts in an attempt to prove that hosting a tv show from home quote humanizes the news so let's look at that other shorts photo. On Sunday, however, Stelter, and this is back from five months ago, pulled back the curtain to show viewers what it looks like when he does TV hits from home in his underwear. Yes, you read that correctly. I'm, I'm torn on this a little bit. Here's his tweet. Let me show you. This is the original tweet. This is interesting. Maybe we should start doing this if it helps. <laughs> the footage shows our little media hall monitor calves and thighs fully exposed while he appeared <laughs> for a television report on CNN. Your move, Chris Cuomo. <laughs> Show oh Hannity. So See what you can do with yeah. that. Okay, now you've just traumatized me with Humpty Dumpty, and I'm going to have that image in my, you know, seared into my memory for the rest of my life. Did you have to? <laughs> did you have to ruin my life? Sorry, oh, sorry. that is traumatic. Love. Oh, uh, <laughs> feign, you know, liberal moral outrage. I got it. All right, Tucker. Thank you. Welcome to Hannity. <laughs> Hannity has no comic timing whatsoever. No, terrible. So that, okay, just to be clear, that was, um, that video of Tucker Carlson kind of cackling is from Brian Stelter himself, who tweeted right. out, poor Hannity, traumatized by the sight of me wearing shorts during a breaking news live shot from home. For the rest of you, check out my entire report about pandemic era TV news from home. Oh, so this is pretty meta. So like, did he do a thing? I, I think this is a, the setup with all of them it's like a g gordon liddy timothy leary thing like they're they're hyping each other yeah although why would they why would those guys who have huge numbers help stelter unless because they gave them their own time to shine i think he's got to go he's got to go a little further i think okay. he's got to go assless yeah. pants next <laughs> assless chaps yeah so Stelzer insisted that embarrassing moments are humanizing moments as he highlighted a viral clip from last April of ABC News correspondent Will Reeve appearing on Good Morning America without pants. According to Stelter, Reeve was perhaps too revealing. If it is successful, guys. Very cool. We love it, Will. Next okay, time, so he wore pants. But hey, I can relate. Uh, this was me live on CNN with just two minutes notice talking with Wolf Blitzer about Trump's Twitter account being banned. So there was a guy on Good Morning America who I guess got some shit because he was not wearing pants. Right. Which you could barely see because he had his um, jacket on, suit jacket on. Right. And so Brian Stelter then thought it would be a good idea to turn that into a kind of piece about like a humanized media thing. Yeah. I think it's probably a net minus overall. I don't think this really works. Who knows? I mean, do other people do? I mean, I, people, a lot of people, I think, do have been doing this, right, during the pandemic? Going pantsless? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, anchors have been doing that forever. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I, rem I remember seeing that as a little, as a little boy, believe it or not, uh, in, like, in new studios. <laughs> yeah. oh, but were they wearing shorts? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Shorts or boxers, kilts. Right. Yeah, exactly. They were just, but they would throw on the, the right. suit jacket at the last minute. Is that when you would like go to your dad's job? Yeah. I mean, that's, an, that's, a, that's an old, that's an old anchorman thing. It's right. Just, it's like, so what would they wear on the bottom though? Like, you know, you, you would, you would come in and flip flops and, right. and shorts from, you know, during the summer and you would just throw on your anchorman jacket and go sit on the set. This is an old, uh, that's an age old thing. That's a, that's one I can ask. Okay. Yeah. Does Brian Stelter's tweet showing his thighs while broadcasting make him seem more accessible, humanized to you, slash humanized to you? KT Helps and I debating. Choice one, yes. Choice two, no. Choice three, other. Choice four, other, majorly. Oh, I like that. Okay. So, so far, it looks like how here's how it's going to break down. Yes, right now is at 6.8%. No is at 62.1%. Other is 5.8%. Other, majorly, is at 25.2%. Actually, there's a surprising 9.6% for yes. We should make another poll be like, if you voted, if you voted yes, is it because you disliked Taibi? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, it's back down to 8.3%. Should, should we comment on the numbers, by the way? Because what numbers? His, his declining numbers. Now, like, it's not about him. Right. But have you looked at the numbers for cable lately? Mm -mm. How are they? So... Cable news numbers always decrease significantly after an election year. Right. But they are catastrophically down. It feels like there's the reversion to norm now that Trump's gone. Yeah. Do you think that's the case? Or do you or do you think that it's be, it's because of alternative media? Oh. You know what it is? It's what? probably because of useful idiots. Oh, right. Yeah. It's the useful idiots anti-bump. Well, I mean, this is your really your lane, Matt. I feel like you need to explain this to me. You need to to hate well, no, explain I'm, it. No, I'm I'm curious what you think about this because there's there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to look at the that phenomenon. What one is that it's just normal and it may, it may even be like a good thing that people are are being less news obsessed in the post-Trump era. The other possibility is that the, the there's been like reputational damage to those brands during the Trump years and they're having a hard time coming back. Like they, they did really well during the election period. Then the, during the whole drama leading up to January 6th, CNN had an amazing day on January 6th. I think it broke its all time record. Rachel had a great first quarter because of the, uh, the month of January, mm -hmm. but then everybody's just been kind of like on a steep uh, downward slope since then so like what does that mean it means they need another russiagate or another january right. 6th what right. else could it be you see if we had tweeted the thing about biden being a corpse that probably could have gotten us right we that could, could have, have become a national thing that msnbc started talking about a lot what yeah why don't we plant the next story or predict the next story i guess we don't know because we can't read the future but what would be a good one maybe they can indict trump for something and he could have a trial that would be good. That would be excellent TV. Must see TV. Um, so we have some updates, um, right? For wait, some wait, story. I, I have oh. to do isn't that terrible first. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Climate emergency scientists say Earth's vital signs continue to dip despite pandemic. 
uh, air travel and carbon dioxide emissions went down for a bit, but the world continues to burn amid a global, uh, a global climate emergency. Nearly 18 months after the COVID-19 pandemic began to take hold and slow the pace of life worldwide, scientists are reiterating a dire warning that the climate crisis is still very much with us. Uh, in November 19, 2019, the journal Bioscience published a, an article co-signed by over 11,000 scientists that declared a global climate emergency. Uh, upshot of the rest of this is human activity slowed during the pandemic, but <clears throat> hasn't done much to um, change the basically catastrophic outlook. So, so people that, were hoping that there'd be like a silver lining to this? Yeah, like people are going outside less and maybe, you know, drive, driving right. muscle cars or, you know, I don't know. I don't. What is it that people do that causes climate change? They're, I mean, they're using energy, so I don't, which is something you do even at home. So I'm, I'm not really clear what, I guess, driving. driving I, thought, body. I actually thought people just dying was would, meant that people would use less stuff. But I guess they, not they, enough. They didn't die at, at huge enough rates right. to really affect anything. So it's just staying home. So it's just staying home and not driving. Right. So this is this is just bad news on top of right. bad news. So, we were deprived of potential silver lining. Which is which qualifies. That's kind of right in the sweet spot of this segment. Yeah. In, very in, terrible. In, in case in case you were tempted to feel good, here's here's some reasons not to not to feel good. Terrible on top of terrible. Right. So that happened. Uh, any other quick updates we got to do for this? Oh, yeah, we have a bunch of updates. So let's see. Uh, what do we got for updates? Stephen Donziger was found um, was found guilty, incredibly enough. Steve, friend of show, Steve Donziger, he's been on the show before. Um, he now faces six months in jail following a decades long battle against the oil company. He he did predict. I don't remember if it was on this show or if it was on the Katie Helper show. But he, I think it was on this show on Useful Idiots that he predicted he would be convicted. Yes. Did you predict that? Did you think that would happen? I was not familiar enough with the case to really know. Right. Yeah. Well. I mean, but it's not surprising given right. the entire arc of the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay, there's that. So our thoughts go out to him and his family. I wonder if there's anything that can be done. Can't they, can't they be humiliated? Uh, no. no, they can't be. That's awful. That's not good. Uh, and then there was, some, good. there was there uh, was there was some news with uh, Julian Assange. Yeah, involved, Assange right? got his uh, Ecuadorian citizenship stripped. Also not good. Ecuador has revoked the citizenship of Assange. Ecuador's justice system formally notified the Australian of the nullity of his naturalization in a letter that came in response to a claim filed by the South American country's foreign ministry. A naturalization is reconsidered when it is granted based on the concealment of relevant facts, false documents, or fraud. Ecuadorian authorities said Assange's naturalization letter had multiple inconsistencies, different signatures, the possible alteration of documents, and unpaid fees, among other issues. Carlos Pobeda, Assange's lawyer, said the decision was made without due process and Assange was not allowed to appear in the case. Translation, the United States leaned on Ecuador and this happened. Yeah. That's awful. So, yeah. That's awful. So, so is, he, is he stateless or is he back to being an Australian citizen or that's it? I don't know. We should ask Gabriel should, or somebody. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Yeah. What but, the hell? That's interesting. Two bad Ecuador cases because Chevron, of course. Was, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely bad news. We got to end this on a lighter note. I, this is this is, I know. This is a, a bummer.
So really excited to be talking to Jennifer R. Farmer, who is an author and a campaign surrogate for Nina Turner. She's also a social justice publicist. And of course, Nina Turner, full disclosure, big friend of the show, repeat offender, repeat guest. And um, of course, Nina Turner was a co-chair of the Bernie Sanders for President campaign, and she's currently running for Congress um, for Ohio's 11th congressional district. And she was a state senator before. There have been a couple of articles that have come out, including one in uh, Newsweek and one at The Intercept. And um, there's an ethics probe that basically was launched because of an article at The Intercept from a few months ago. But this other piece at The Intercept in the race against Nina Turner, GOP donors fund Chantel Brown, with one week left in the Ohio primary, Republican donors have picked their Democrat and the pro-Israel PAC supporting her. And so it goes through some of the people who uh, support her. And there's Democratic Majority for Israel, which is a PAC, and they spent $1.2 million on ads supporting Brown and opposing Turner, and uh, also has a slew of donors who have made ample donations to Republican candidates and causes. Leonard Feinstein, who donated $25,000 to DMFI, uh, has made large contributions to the National Republican Senatorial Committee, um, the Republican Party of Cuyahoga, County, Steve Fishman, who donated 20000 to DMFI, also has donated to a bunch of Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, David Heller, a Cleveland area real estate executive, donated 10000 to DMFI and was a supporter of, of the Republicans. So they just go through some of the. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the the Intercept article was was framed a little, a little bit oddly because there's really two things going on here yeah. with this race. One is that this is. This is a continuation of the kind of Sanders v. Biden, Sanders v. Clinton, progressive versus neoliberal divide within the party. Uh, but the other is that this is a direct kind of referendum on the Israel issue because Brown is a is an open supporter. She's one of these people who says we have to stand behind our closest ally in Israel. Turner has said the exact opposite. Solidarity is a verb. You know, she, you know, Palestinian lives matter, all that stuff. So there's going to be a lot of money uh, that's sort of pro-Israel that's that's going to Brown. You know, yes, you can probably characterize it as as people who've also donated to Republicans, but I think they've also donated to basically anybody who supports Israel. This, this is this is more about Israel right. than about left versus right, it feels like to me. Right. Um, although it is, yeah, although that I would say isn't, the Israel issue turns into that, like it becomes that, but yeah, it's more left versus, it's more one of those. It, well, yeah. left versus right, okay, well, then blue versus red, because yeah, the, right. you know what I'm saying? Because the Democrats have, have, you know, shown a similar fealty to Israel over the years. That's a nice Bernie book you have behind you. That's, oh, thanks. Who, who is that? Bernie Sanders. Oh, Bernie wrote that one. Bernie wrote it. I also have Listen Liberal. I nice. also have a Matt Taibbi book. Nice. Nice. I Can't Breathe. Right. Yep. You like my, you see my little Bernie doll? Yeah. He, he's going to fall down. You need to be careful. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. a sturdy guy. Yeah. So this is this is a fascinating race because it's, it's going to end up, you know, this, which is happening on August 3rd, there's this sort of runoff vote. Uh, in the primary and it's it's going to be basically uncontested from there so whoever wins is going to end up getting the seat 
but it's going to be a referendum on a couple of things. It's on this, this on the strength of the National Democratic Party, which clearly does not want Turner to win, and then also on the sort of Israel lobby versus uh, you know the the pro Palestine movement. Right. I think both of those things are in play here, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see. And there's been, there's been a lot of national press about this. You, you can you can clearly see where a lot of it's going. Like they're they're trying to suggest that the race is getting closer. You know, there there there's sort of an over examination of Turner's past and how how many detractors she has within the party, which is something you can say about almost any candidate. Yeah, it it, it feels like there's a last last minute publicity draft going on with this. So it'll be interesting to hear what what Jennifer has to say about all that. Yeah. So let's talk to Jennifer. Welcome to uh, Useful Idiots. We're so excited to be talking to you. Um, Just wanted to ask you, I guess, to start how you know Nina Turner. Sure. So thank you for having me. I first met Nina Turner, I want to say in 2009. And she was a state senator at that time. I was the deputy chief of staff for the Senate Democrats with the the Ohio Senate. And so we've known each other all all these years. I worked very closely with her when she was in office and in various capacities that she and I have both held since that time. And that's when she did that great bill asking for... um men to get permission right like written permission from their former part from their partners before they could get viagra yeah i mean but she had a number of um you know she had a number of phenomenal bills but what i recall most is she would stand up on the senate floor and she would whip her colleagues you know by telling the truth and painting what was happening in in stark and vivid terms not just for the people who were in the room but for ohioans who depended on the legislature to do the right thing. So she's always had the ability to work across the aisle and just really, really convincing and really, really taking the moral high ground. And um, can you can you tell us what's happening right now with the campaign? So we're in the final stretch of the campaign, and uh, this is a battle of of ideas. You know, she has since she got into this race, She's talked about the conditions facing folks in Cleveland, Ohio, and the Akron area, which comprises the district, poverty. There are more people leaving Cleveland than any other large city in the country. She's talked about those. And what we're seeing is an onslaught of uh, attacks, some of it funded by Republicans, and most of it not focused on substance, but focused on a fear of what she could do. What we really want is a debate on the issues. We want to talk about the issues impacting people in Northeast Ohio. And that's what Senator Turner has been pushing and trying to do. When you, when you say fund, funded by Republicans, which uh, you're talking about some of this uh, PAC money that's come in, a lot of it's sort of pro-Israeli type money, but can you be specific about who you're talking about? Sure. So I'm talking about, um, I am talking about D- DMFI, but I'm talking about the people who gave, who are giving to DFMI to support her opponent. I'm speaking specifically of Robert Kraft, who uh, individually, and as many people know, he's the owner of the New England, Inc., New England Patriots. But I'm speaking specifically about Kraft, who donated $5,800 individually and through family and friends, another $20,000. I'm speaking of um, the former Cuyahoga County uh, Republican chair. So just a number of Republicans who are weighing in and giving money 
uh, to Chantel Brown, Nina Turner's opponent. Can you talk about the recent pieces that there was an investigation? I know that uh, the at Newsweek and Daily Poster that they did together, um, those revelations about, I guess, Kraft and other people who are funding it, sure. Chantel Brown's uh, campaign. Sure. So in April, The Intercept reported that Chantel Brown, who's a Cuyahoga County co Council member, had voted to award millions worth of contracts to companies that were connected to her romantic partner. Now, as someone who's worked in Ohio state politics, albeit on the administrative side, I know that elected officials are required to file um, disclosure forms. And I know that elected officials are held to a high standard in terms of what they can and cannot do. So voting to award millions to a company connected to your partner, your romantic partner, I mean, it's certainly concerning. So, you know, as, as you noted, The Intercept reported on this earlier this year in April. Apparently, the Ohio Auditor's Office got wind of it um, and sent it over to the Ohio Ethics Commission, and they are reviewing. And so we're looking at possible criminal charges if they decide to, um, to go that route. And what are the polls show right now? I mean, I, I, I've seen headlines that said the race is tightening. Um, is that true? Is that not true? But what, what, what information do you have? Chantel Brown's campaign released a series of, uh, of polls, and that was a predictable gesture, right? Because we had a poll that showed that Senator Turner was leading by a, a wide margin. And then Chantel Brown's campaign came out and showed something else. What I will say is that polling, when it comes to the Black community, and there's a large segment of this district that is Black, it's not always reliable. I also find it questionable that in the last few days of the campaign, there's a poll that shows that Chantel is pulling ahead. This is a race that uh, there's no question it's close, but there's also no question that support for Nina Turner, it is palpable. She walks into different establishments, people come up to her, and they tell her they're voting for her. In fact, there was a council member who recently changed his support from Chantel Brown to Nina Turner. And one of the things that he cited was the negative attack ads and how it was really over the top. And that happened within the last 48 hours. So certainly as uh, Nina Turner is moving around the district, as the people on her campaign are moving across the district and engaging with voters and, you know, doing this GOTV, there's a ton of support. Do you see this as, um, I mean, there's clearly a lot of money pouring into this race from outside the area. It feels a lot like this has become a proxy battle for the larger schism between, you know, that within the Democratic Party, between sort of the Bernie wing and the, the centrist Clintonian wing of the party. Um, you know, what will it, what would a victory here mean in, uh, in, ter in terms of that sort of ongoing dispute? So for people who are in the district, Cleveland is among the poorest of large big cities. For people in the district, their concern is, um, how are we going to pay our bills and also pay for our health insurance? How are we going to put food on the table and also ensure that our children have a future? They are looking and responding to the candidate who they believe can best do that. If Nina Turner wins this election, it means that the people have won. You know, the people have spoken uh, very, very clearly about the direction that they want for their community. For a lot of people who are outside of Cleveland, 
they are focusing on everything else except for the people who are hurting inside the district and those are the voices that, um, that we should listen to. One thing that Nina Turner has said repeatedly is that uh, she is going to be a champion for the people. She's gonna take their needs to Congress. And certainly when it comes to the Voting Rights Act, when it comes to ending the filibuster, there are people all across the country who feel that they elect leaders, their leaders go to Washington and forget who they serve. And the people that they should be serving are the people who sent them there, the constituents from the district. Can you talk more about the differences in their platforms or their uh, positions? Well, I can talk about Nina Turner's position because she's the only candidate in this race who's really been talking about the issues. The other candidate has run on a platform of basically, I am not Nina Turner. And for people who are trying to decide, are the material conditions impacting my life going to improve, that does not give them, give them much. For Nina Turner, she's committed to Medicare um, for all. She's committed to ensuring that um, a health event does not derail a person's future. She's committed to ensuring that college is more affordable. Uh, she's committed to equal wages for equal work. She's committed to ensuring that when you, um, uh, that when you think about the future that we're leaving behind for the generations that are coming, that it's one that, that ensures climate justice, right? So she's very, very concerned about what's happening in not just the Cleveland community, but Ohio and across the world, quite frankly. Those are the things that she's passionate about and those are the things that voters are responding to. I saw some polling information recently and it noted that black men between the ages of 18 and 55 are overwhelmingly supportive of Nina Turner. Mm -hmm. uh, she is the best surrogate for this demographic. And I think for black men and for a lot of people in the district, they have not felt seen and they have not felt heard. And she's working very hard to change that. And it's working. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was a good interview. Interesting interview. Uh, interesting story. We'll see what happens. Um, I really like that clip from MSNBC. Uh, it's classic. It's so classic, right? The classic technocracy. We should have a word for that technocratic wisdom you know when you pretend something is you're calling what like calling balls and strikes but you're actually ideologically motivated right like when right. you're pretending you're just describing as opposed to endorsing technocratic is like is the 21st century version of folksy it's it's like a an adjective that they give to it's that's basically meaningless to somebody that kind of the status quo people want to win right i just i guess more because more so yeah they'll call people technocrats and they're trying to suggest they're good managers and good administrators but this is something this is like the whole ethos of of technocracy right where like this the people who are saying this stuff about turner it, it's just the it's the false expertise information-based analysis pretending to, it's but it's it's like it's ideology pretending to be just the facts yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you know, so this is this is going to be interesting to uh, to see what happens next week. We sort of started the show off uh, a couple of years ago, and this was sort of the big issue was this argument that was going on be within the Democratic Party. Everybody's sort of acting like it's it's over, uh, but it's right. it's not really. You yeah. know, uh, I think it's still. 
obviously after South Carolina and Clyburn and the kind of, you know, Super Tuesday massacre uh, in 2020, it's, you know, suffused a little bit, but it, this, this argument is still very much alive. And I think you can see with, with Turner's race, especially with the amount of money that she's, she's raised, that there's still a lot of popular support for kind of the progressive side of this dispute. Yeah. Yeah, and again, we're going to see this issue of Medicare for all, which people pretend is is something that's much less popular than it is, right. especially among black voters. Well, they're going to kill that however they can. You know, I mean, that it'll, it'll take it'll take a lot more than um, the squad, the squad and a few more. It's, it's going to take a generation for that to get to the point where they can actually vote on it. But or maybe not. Maybe I'm being pessimistic. Yeah, but they they want to kill that more than anything. Nina, if Nina Turner wins, I think we are I think it's going to be pretty clear that useful idiots played a big part having her on multiple times and then having Jennifer Farmer on. If she doesn't win, knock on what's the opposite of knock on wood? Knock on marshmallow, knock, knock on, on marshmallow, yeah. Knock on a, 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 I don't know, an unstable ally. Yeah, exactly. I thought you said unstable ally. <laughs> which is there are a lot of unstable allies but if she doesn't win it's probably because she didn't come on this time right this round yeah, yeah exactly no all right uh, all right that was great well thank you so much uh everybody for for checking in and um we will see you again on monday morning yeah for our monday morning those are going great people really like it keep sending us yeah they do keep sending us clips guys if you have any ideas of, of sunday morning things that you want us to look at right talk about yeah, yeah. So we'll do that, and then we'll see you again next week on the show. But in, in the meantime, you got to rate, review, subscribe, yes. all those things that you're supposed to do. Usefulidiots.substack.com. Because otherwise, it just doesn't work for us. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, it just it's not workable. It's not working for me. It's not working for us. Don't you hate right. when people are kind of like assholes, but they pretend that they're just being? Oh, interesting parallel with the technocracy thing. Right. Yeah. I hate when people personal use personal like, technocracy. Yeah, personal technocracy. Yeah. That's an interesting um, concept. We got to work on that. Yeah, we got to work on that. There's definitely a thing when people are assholes and they use touchy feely language. Like when it just makes me feel like. Yeah, that's usually because they don't want to say that, that the bad thing. Right. Like right. I don't want to. They don't want to say like I don't want to hear about your problems. So they'll be like, I feel like a garbage can. <laughs> when you talk to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's funny. Yeah, human I like I like camp. that line actually. Yeah, I heard someone say that once about someone. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, All right. Well, th thanks for uh, thanks for checking in, and uh, we will see you again soon. Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. Oh,
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.